1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Lind is producing, Sam Moppin is engineering. Glad to have you with us. Looking forward to a conversation in the second hour of today's program with Associate Pastor Diana Indicott. She's with Northside Community Church. She's also a part-time chaplain at a local hospital and author of Under the Power Lines. We're going to talk about the meaning of Christmas and why Jesus came. We'll also reflect on Romans 15, 13, which has a lot to do with how we approach this season and every season. So that's coming up in the second hour of uh, today's program, among other things. So hope you can stay with us. Well, in local news, or I shouldn't say local, in national news, the Food and Drug Administration authorized the first oral antiviral treatment for COVID-19, Pfizer-Paxlovid drug. Well, the emergency use authorization was granted uh, today for Pfizer-Paxlovid Uh, The tablets uh, and um, the co-packaged tablet for oral use for the treatment of mild to moderate coronavirus disease in adults and children 12 years of age and older, weighing at least 40 kilograms or about 88 pounds. So this is a drug that you would uh, take if you contracted covid uh, and your symptoms were mild to moderate. It applies only to those who meet those qualifications, have tested positive for SARS-CoV-2 testing, and who are at high risk for progression to severe COVID-19, including hospitalization or death. Well, Paxlovid is available by prescription only, should be initiated as soon as possible after diagnosis of COVID-19 and within five days of symptoms onset, uh, says the um, uh, Pat- uh, Patrizia, Uh, The doctor, the director of the FDA Center for Drug Evaluation and Research in a statement. Today's authorization introduces the first treatment for COVID-19 that is in the form of a pill that is taken orally, a major step forward in the fight against this global pandemic. This pandemic uh, as this authorization rather provides a new tool to combat COVID-19 at a crucial time in the pandemic as new variants emerge and promises to make antiviral treatment more accessible to patients who are at high risk of progression to severe COVID. So this will presumably have an impact on reducing pressure and hospitalization as well. In other news, the Biden administration will extend the pause on federal student loan repayments through May of 2022, just weeks before the moratorium was set to expire. With a lot of pressure coming from progressive Democrats, the Department of Education paused federal student loan payments in March of 2020 at the onset of the coronavirus pandemic and set the interest rates to zero percent during that pause. Well, federal borrowers were scheduled to resume payments on the first of February of next year, but Biden, on his first day in office, directed the Department of Education to pause federal student loan repayments through September of 2021. In August, the administration extended that pause through the end of next month. But... The president said today, my administration is extending the pause on federal student loan repayments for an additional 90 days through May 1st, 2022, as we manage the ongoing pandemic and further strengthen our economic recovery. In a statement noting that the Department of Education will continue working with borrowers to ensure they have the support they need to transition smoothly back into repayment and advance economic stability for their own households and for our nation, end quote. Well, the pause in federal student loan repayments gave 41 million Americans badly needed breathing room during the economic upheaval caused by the global pandemic. Uh, The president, though, acknowledged that millions of student loan borrowers are still uh, coping with the impacts of the pandemic and need some more time before resuming those payments. It's something of a compromise, again, under significant pressure from progressive Democrats who uh, urged the president to forgive those student loans altogether. Senate Democrats are gearing up for a frontal assault on the legislative filibuster in the new year after their uh, efforts to pass an elections bill were stymied by Republicans this year, Uh, says uh, one Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the Democrat out of New York, in a letter to fellow Democrats on Monday. I would ask you to consider this question. If the right to vote is the cornerstone of our democracy, which is actually a constitutional republic, I sort of added that. Then how can we in good conscience allow for a situation in which the Republican Party can debate and pass voter suppression laws at the state level with only a simple majority vote, but not allow the United States Senate to do the same? Well, I believe our constituents, he went on to say, deserve to know which senators... Uh, choose to hide behind ill-conceived and abused rules, he added. Therefore, members will be given the chance to debate on the Senate floor and cast a vote so that their choice on this matter is clear and available for everyone to see. Now, if this is supposed to dissuade Republicans or shame them into changing their votes, I'm not sure that's going to be successful, but nonetheless, he wants to put them on record. Well, uh, Schumer followed up the statement with comments in a virtual caucus meeting on Tuesday, saying that the Senate... Uh, would vote on changes to how it operates if Republicans block a Democrat-supported election bill in January. Schumer's promise is the clearest indication yet that Democrats will try to set a new precedent in the Senate to neuter the legislative filibuster, which requires a supermajority of 60 votes for the body to start or end debate on most legislation. Now, when you do away with these kinds of safeguards, it tends to come around and bite you uh, when the other party is in the majority. But nonetheless, it's not the first time. Uh, members of Congress, in this case, the Senate, are prepared to act hastily and against, perhaps, their own interest in the future. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we return in the second hour, we'll hear from Associate Pastor Diana Edicott. She is a rather Endicott. She's with Northside Community Church. She's also a part-time chaplain and author of Under the Power Lines. We're going to talk about the real meaning of Christmas. So I hope you'll stick around for just that.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We have a gift for you for King and Country, a drummer, a drummer. I'm married to a drummer. I should be able to do this. A Drummer Boy Christmas concert is available for you to watch free as many times as you want, Friday and Saturday, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Now, this was the final show of their tour recorded on Sunday, December 19th in Nashville. You and your friends can stream it an unlimited number of times this Christmas weekend, all of it for free and provided as a Christmas gift from For King and Country, kpdq and salem now if you don't have the salem now streaming app just download it to your mobile device or tv to watch the stream all the details can be found at kpdq.com for king and countries a drummer boy christmas concert available to you christmas eve and christmas day throughout the day well, President Trump is very appreciative and surprised that President Biden acknowledged his administration's COVID vaccine success. I want you to just pause for a moment because you have these two colliding administrations um, having a moment of conciliation. Former President Trump appreciates that President Biden acknowledged his administration's COVID vaccine success. It's going to be fleeting. So just bask in it for a moment. Anyway, former President Trump said Tuesday he was very appreciative and surprised. Uh, the President Biden thanked him and his administration for their success in making COVID-19 vaccines available to the public telling Fox News that tone and trust were critical in getting Americans vaccinated. Biden on Tuesday afternoon announced increasing testing capacity and expanded access to vaccines and support for hospitals across the country with a surge in cases with the Omicron variant, which the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced this week makes up to uh, up more than 73 percent of new infections in the country. Well, thanks to the prior administration and our scientific community, America is one of the first countries to get the vaccine. President Biden said on Tuesday, thanks to my administration, the hard work of Americans, our rollout made American among the world's leaders in getting shots in arms, end quote. Well, in an exclusive interview on Tuesday evening, former President Trump reacted to Biden's acknowledging his administration's efforts. I'm very appreciative of that. I was surprised to hear it, he said. I think it was a terrific thing and I think it makes uh, a lot of people happy. Well, Trump then repeated that he was a little bit surprised. In other developments, President Biden announced support for hospitals, access to free COVID tests and vaccine availability amid the Omicron uh, er, surge. Rather, the White House assures the public that people won't have to wear a mask all the time if we wake up and make uh, progress fighting COVID. Well, president Biden admitted his vaccine mandates are unpopular, but says that they are legal and effective. Meanwhile, Republicans accuse the president of controlling Americans with fear of, as COVID cases spike. Reporters asked President Biden if the testing shortage is a failure for the administration. No answer. Representative Crenshaw called on the Biden administration to apologize to President Trump and that administration. The Texas congressman showed what the Biden administration uh, wouldn't have done to combat COVID-19, but the Trump administration did. In other news, President Biden declined to say whether Senator Manchin broke a commitment. The president refused to comment on whether Senator Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia, broke a commitment to the president to support the Build Back Better legislation. Senator Manchin and I are going to get something done, Biden said Tuesday when asked if Manchin had backed away from a previous Uh, from previous support for the plan. Well, the president's remarks came during an impromptu news conference following his address to the nation, outlining his plans to combat the Omicron variant, with reporters peppering the president with questions about his ongoing negotiations with Manchin. Some people think maybe I'm not Irish because I don't hold a grudge, Biden said in response to another question about Manchin, but I want to get things done. I still think there's a possibility of getting Build Back Better done. End quote. Well, the exchanges came after a drama filled week featuring the president and the West Virginia Democrat, with the president releasing a statement singling out Manchin for the delay in passing his massive legislation, a move that reportedly helped prompt the senator to completely cut off negotiations with the White House. I've done everything humanly possible, Manchin said during an appearance over the weekend where he announced his opposition to the Biden plan. When you have these things uh, coming at you the way they are right now, I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. In other developments, the president and Democrats are facing grim findings in two polls. President Biden and congressional Democrats are getting less done in Washington than a plurality of voters expected, according to a new poll. Meanwhile, a separate poll released this week shows President Biden's approval rating reaching the lowest point of his presidency. Do West Virginians back Joe Manchin's opposition to build back better? It's a good question. Well, West Virginians apparently who spoke with uh, one network said they supported Senator Joe Manchin's decision to oppose President Biden's build back better act. A CNN host lashed out at Joe Manchin over the senator's opposition to BBB, emphasizing one man's vote. Uh, Senate Democrats convened an emergency call with a view to the grim outlook for the president's massive spending bill. Senator Manchin is mum on whether he plans to attend. A former police officer, Kim Potter, jury um, indicated a potential deadlock, asking the judge what happened if a, what happens, rather, if a jury cannot reach a consensus. Well, the jury in the trial of former Minnesota police officer Kim Potter indicated a potential deadlock last night after nearly 13 hours of deliberation, asking the judge what they should do if they can't agree on a verdict. Well, the judge, Regina Chu, read the jury's questions for the court. If a jury cannot reach consensus, what is the guidance around how long and what steps should be taken? The judge responded by reading part of the instructions that were given to the jury earlier in the week. You should decide the case for yourself, but only after you should have discussed the case with your fellow jurors and have carefully considered their views, the judge said. You should not hesitate to re-examine your views and change your opinion if you become convinced they are erroneous. But you should not surrender your honest opinion simply because other jurors disagree or merely to reach a verdict. Well, Potter's defense attorney objected to Judge Chu's rereading of the jury instructions, arguing that it would emphasize that aspect of the instructions over everything else. The judge overruled the objection. Well, the jury, which consists of nine white people, two Asian people, and one black person, because that matters these days, deliberated for a little more than five hours on Monday after closing arguments. They've been deliberating for eight hours on Tuesday and continued through today. In other developments, the jury deliberated for a third day in the case uh, for the former cop charged with shooting the the shooting death of Duante Wright. She uh, thought she was using a taser, but pulled her gun. Harvard professor Charles Lieber has been uh, convicted, rather, of hiding his ties to China, and uh, DA Kim Fox lied about her contacts with Jesse Smollett's sister, and that violates legal ethics, according to an investigation. GOP Senator John Thune is seriously considering retirement. The Colorado D.A. has asked a court to reconsider a truck driver's 110-year sentence in a deadly, fiery crash. And a Utah college student reportedly tipped off her parents that she was in danger with an unusual early morning text. A Michigan school district suggested students join BLM protests and warning that calling the U.S. a land of opportunity is a microaggression. The SEC has allowed Apple's shareholders to push for details on non-disclosure, and Tesla's Musk says he sold enough stock and slammed California for over-taxation. Chicago mandates uh, vaccines for restaurants, bars, and gyms amid the Omicron COVID nineteen surge, and the U.S. Postal Service doesn't expect any delays as shipping the uh, deadl- as the shipping deadline approaches. The Elizabeth Holmes jury unsuccessfully tried to study at home didn't really work. The apartment owner's golden age is uh, primed to continue into 2022. President Biden on Omicron says we were prepared and then says we didn't see it coming. Two years into the COVID-19 pandemic and 11 months and a day since he took office, the president insisted I don't think anybody anticipated the dramatic surge in the more infectious Omicron variant amid criticism of his response as lagging. It all started Of uh, All of a sudden, Biden claimed on Tuesday when pressed by reporters on the administration's sluggish response to nationwide coronavirus testing shortages. But moments later, the president contradicted himself in that claim, saying he did foresee the looming test shortage and that he had been working on a still vague plan to distribute 500 million rapid tests to Americans by mail. I knew that was coming, he followed up, even though the details of that plan remained undecided on Tuesday. Rich Lowry points out, Biden, it's not a failure that we don't have more tests because this covid surge came on so fast. Does that make any sense? Would anyone accept that explanation from Trump? Tom Cotton says the Biden administration has time to write a whole of government 42 page national gender strategy, but they didn't have time to work on increasing test availability until now. And the Wall Street Journal weighs in. At long last, a sense of reality seems to be settling in at the White House that we will have to live with COVID-19, even if President Biden didn't say so explicitly in his speech on Tuesday. He can't shut down the virus, as he claimed in the campaign, but at least he isn't shutting down the economy or schools. Mr. Biden was at uh, pains to say Tuesday that this is no time to panic, even as the Omicron variant spreads. He advised Americans not to abandon their holiday plans if they're vaccinated, though he repeated his dire warning about the unvaccinated. He even offered a grace note to Donald Trump for producing the vaccine, which must be a first. Dr. Francis Collins doubled down on calling other epidemiologists Fringe. In other words, if you don't agree with me, you're part of the fringe. Well, the National Institutes of Health director, Dr. Francis Collins, stood by his email referring to the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration as fringe epidemiologists, despite credentials from Oxford, Harvard and Stanford. The October 4th, 2020 declaration called for focused protection instead of lockdown policies, which the authors argued lead to devastating effects on short and long term public health. In an email to Dr. Anthony Fauci and others at NIH, Collins said there needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of its premises. On Fox News Sunday, Brett Baer asked him about that email and if he stood by it. Not only did he double down on calling the authors fringe epidemiologists who really did not have the credentials to be making such a grand sweeping statement, he said hundreds of thousands of people would have died if we followed that strategy. Dr. J., another Dr. J., Said on TV today, Francis Collins doubled down on his lies and propaganda attack and on the Great Barrington Declaration. And from the Wall Street Journal, in public, Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins urge Americans to follow the science. In private, the two sainted public health officials schemed to quash dissenting views from top scientists. That's the troubling but fair conclusion from emails obtained recently via the Freedom of Information Act by the American Institute for Economic Research. We'll be back. Back, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I want to remind you, coming up in the second hour of today's program, we'll talk with Associate Pastor Diana Indicott from Northside Community Church. She's also a part-time chaplain in a local hospital and author of Under the Power Lines on the Meaning of Christmas and Why Jesus Came. We're also going to reflect on Romans fifteen thirteen, which seems altogether appropriate for this um, this important season. I want to invite you to join us Christmas Day for a Parkside Christmas concert. It runs through... Um 12 noon on Christmas Day. Alistair Begg and Truth For Life would like to invite you to listen to A Parkside Christmas on 93.9 KPDQ and True Talk 800 at 1 o'clock p.m. on Christmas Day. This special concert hosted by Alistair Begg will feature musical guests Laura Story, Fernando Ortega, Brenton Brown, and Michael O'Brien. Don't miss this special event on Saturday, Christmas Day at 1 p.m. 93.9 KPDQ and our sister station, True Talk 800. Some great uh, listening for you on Christmas. You can also hear Alistair Beg Christmas uh, Parkside uh, tomorrow in the second hour. I believe it's the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, looking back at the news after sparring with the police, Chicago Mayor Lightfoot has asked the federal government to help in fighting crime. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot is requesting the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland send more federal resources to Chicago to help combat the surging crime and gun violence there. She made three specific requests of Garland, one being that he send ATF agents to Chicago for six months in order to increase the number of gun investigations and gun seizures. Secondly, she's requesting more federal prosecutors to be sent to the city in order to handle new crime cases that will be generated by the federal government, also sending more ATF agents to work on investigations. And thirdly, uh, Mayor Lightfoot wants Garland um, to send additional federal marshals to Chicago to help the Cook County Sheriff's Office and Chicago Police Department with tracking down thousands of individuals wanted on warrants. Well, Fox News uh, reports that the plea comes as the number of shooting victims in Chicago this year, as of this Sunday, was at 4,270 compared to 3,930 in 2020. The Chicago Tribune reported, citing police statistics, homicides have risen to 783 up from 749, uh, which was a, uh, recorded the same time period in 2020, the newspaper also said. So not a, a good two-year period in Chicago. And by the way, you might recall Mayor Lightfoot refused help under the previous administration. Well, Delta Airlines has asked the CDC to shorten the COVID isolation period. The uh, airline CEO has asked the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to consider cutting its recommended uh, isolation period for vaccinated people who get breakthrough COVID-19 infections from 10 days To five days, our employees represent an essential workforce to enable Americans who need to travel domestically and internationally. That's a quote from CEO uh, Ed Bastian writing to the CDC director Rochelle Walensky. Delta's chief health officer, Carlos Del Rio, and medical advisor Henry Ting also signed the letter. With the rapid spread of the Omicron variant, the 10-day isolation for those who are fully vaccinated may significantly impact our workforce and operations they went on to say, well, prisoners freed over covid concerns don't need to report back. The New York Post reports thousands of federal inmates who are freed to curb the spread of covid-19 will not have to return to prison when the health emergency ends. Justice Department officials announced the move reverses a January order issued by the previous administration, the Trump administration, and affects nearly 5000 convicts who will now be allowed to remain out of jail on home confinement. From A.G. Merrick Garland, thousands of people on home confinement have reconnected with their families, have found gainful employment, and have followed the rules. In light of today's Office of Legal Counsel opinion, I have directed the department uh, engage in a rulemaking process to ensure that the department lives up to the letter and spirit of the CARES Act. We will exercise our authority so that those who have made rehabilitative progress and complied with the conditions of home confinement and who, in the interest of justice, should be given an opportunity to continue transitioning back to society are not unnecessarily returned to prison. End quote. The Washington Post writes Emily Singer, press secretary of democracy forward, called the justice ruling excellent news for thousands of people and families to get before the holidays. We hope that that will remain the case. The United States had the lowest annual population growth on record. America's population grew 0.1% this year. That's the lowest rate on record, according to the Census Bureau figures released on Tuesday. That show um, how the pandemic is changing the country's demographic contours. The Evangelical Lutheran Church has suspended their first transgender bishop a group promoting LGBTQ clergy in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, has suspended its first transgender bishop over allegations of racist words and actions involving the bishop's church area and the Latinx community, I'm quoting, uh, in Stockton, California. just want to make note that Latinos and um, Hispanics do not approve of the use of the word. A controversial hot new toy for kids comes with a book of spells. Be aware mom and dad uh, from the story the magic mixie's magical misting cauldron there might be a little clue in that title is essentially a stuffed animal with a gimmick attached promotional copy encourages uh, kids to mix your potion and make your pet this uh, interactive toy comes with a plastic cauldron magical ingredients and a book of spells that help children create their stuffed animal for scratch or rather from scratch that's what I would suggest, that you scratch that one off the list. New York City plans to pay people to get booster shots. The panic continues. A D.C. public librarian had uh, kids reenact the Holocaust. From the story, Kimberlyn Jarowski was placed on leave this week after parents complained at uh, Watkins Elementary School, that she uh, made students role play the Holocaust, assigning students to be Jews and pretend to die in gas chambers and dig mass graves, according to the Washington Post. One student was assigned to be Adolf Hitler, who carried out the Holocaust. Jarowski uh, told the students because the Jews ruined Christmas. Well, in other news nationwide between July of 2020 and July of 2021, the population now approximately 331.8 million only netted 392,665 people. The year over year increase of 0.1 percent equates to an historically slow pace of growth, explains the Census Bureau demographer. National Review further notes the U.S. added almost 245,000 people from international migration, but just 148,000 from new births, supplanting deaths, marking the first time that migration contributed more to U.S. population growth than births. Because of the coronavirus pandemic, however, new immigration fell by about half from the previous year. COVID notwithstanding, the birth rate remedy is courage and self-sacrifice. Well, last year, as I mentioned earlier, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, whose city of Chicago experienced 775 homicides, told President Donald Trump what we do not need and what we will certainly make our uh, community less safe is secret federal agents deployed to Chicago. Well this week though with 777 homicides two more than the previous administration thus far in 2021 and we still have a week or so to go Lightfoot admitted that Chicago needed the help of the federal government to halt the out of control violence plaguing the city Well frankly the best resources that can provide uh, that can be provided rather are a new mayor and a whole new set of aldermen new prosecutors wouldn't hurt either well, former President Trump is very appreciative and surprised that the president acknowledged his administration's COVID vaccine success. Nearly $100 billion in pandemic relief funds were stolen. $100 billion, with a B, 100 billion, according to the Secret Service. President Biden's agenda setbacks um, rattle Democrats who are facing some pretty tough elections and reelections, And the latest Durham filing reveals new conflict of interest legal woes For the Clinton campaign and 70 percent of uh, voters in a poll say it's been a bad year and over half of the say that they are weary uh, of the uh, whole episode. Fifty five percent say that it's been very bad for them personally. Meanwhile, a jury finds a Harvard professor guilty of concealing his China ties and Princeton took millions from a Chinese Communist Party linked school and think tank head. Well, life expectancy, as I mentioned, fell Uh, Almost two years in 2020, and the Army created a super vaccine that is effective against all COVID variants. You can read more about that in Newsweek. It made me scratch my head just a bit. Is this fair share enough? Elon Musk will pay over $11 billion in taxes this year. We'll find out how fair share is defined in this case. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Want to remind you, coming up in our second hour, we'll talk with Associate Pastor Diana Endicott. She is a Northside Community Church Associate Pastor, also a part-time chaplain, author of "Under the Power Lines." We'll talk about the real meaning of Christmas. So stay with us.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up after news and traffic, after this segment, in the second hour of today's program, we'll hear from Associate Pastor Diana Endicott. We'll be talking about the true meaning of Christmas. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Also want to let you know, you could win a five-day, four-night trip to Paradise Island, Cancun, in the American Underdog Sweep Sweepstakes, Annunciate. Well, it's the inspirational true story of Kirk Warner, who went from a stock boy at a grocery store to a two time NFL MVP Super Bowl champion and Hall of Fame quarterback. American Underdog is the new movie opening Christmas Day at a theater near you. Now, we're celebrating the movie by giving away 97 Fandango ticket four packs and a grand prize trip to Paradise Cancun in Cancun for a family of four. So go see the movie. Enter the sweepstakes because this trip will be for sure a touchdown for the whole family. All the details can be found at 93.9 KPDQ FM or KPDQ.com if you check it out online. Well, on this day in history, December 22nd, 1894, French Army officer Alfred Dreyfus is convicted of treason in a court martial that triggers worldwide charges of anti-Semitism. Dreyfus would eventually be vindicated. 1917, Mother Frances Xavier Cabrini, who had become the first naturalized U.S. citizen to be canonized, dies in Chicago at age 67. 1937, the first center tube of the Lincoln Tunnel connecting New York City and New Jersey beneath the Hudson River is open to traffic. 1989, Romanian President Nicolae uh, Ceausescu, the last European uh, Eastern European hardline communist ruler,s is toppled from power in an uprising. Two thousand one, Richard C. Reed, a passenger on an American Airlines flight from Paris to Miami, tries to ignite explosives in his shoes, but he's subdued by flight attendants and fellow passengers. Reed is currently serving a life sentence in federal prison. Two thousand one. Hamid Karzai is sworn in as prime minister of Afghanistan's interim government. 2008, Toyota projects its first operating loss in 70 years due to the global economic slowdown. 2010, President Barack Obama signs a law allowing gays to serve openly in America's military, repealing don't ask, don't tell policy. 2017, the wildfire that burned its way through communities and wilderness northwest of Los Angeles becomes the largest blaze ever officially recorded in the state of California. It had scorched 273,400 acres and destroyed more than 700 homes. Also in 2017, iPhone owners from several states sue Apple for not disclosing sooner that it issued software updates deliberately slowing older model phones So aging batteries would last longer. And finally, on this day in history, 2017, President Donald Trump signs the $1.5 trillion tax overhaul into law. Well, the federal government on Thursday permanently lifted a major restriction on access to abortion pills. It's going to allow patients to receive the medication by mail instead of requiring them to obtain the pills in person from specifically certified health providers. Now, the decision by the Food and Drug Administration comes as the Supreme Court is considering whether to roll back abortion rights or even overturn its landmark 1973 decision in Roe v.ersus Wade that made abortion legal nationwide. Well, the FDA's actions means that medication abortion is an increasingly common method authorized in the United States for pregnancies up to 10 weeks gestation will become more available to women who find it difficult to travel to an abortion provider or prefer to terminate a pregnancy in the privacy of their homes. It allows patients to have a telemedicine appointment with a provider who can prescribe abortion pills and send them to the patient by mail. Earlier this year, for the duration of the pandemic, the FDA uh, temporarily lifted the in-person requirement of the drug, and the first of two drugs used to end a pregnancy. The decision to make this change permanent is likely to deepen the already polarizing divisions between conservative and liberal states on abortion. In 19 states, mostly in the South and Midwest, telemedicine visits for medication abortion are banned, and these and other conservative states can be expected to pass other laws to further curtail access to abortion pills. Now, the chemical abortion pill regime is a two-part process. The first pill, uh, um, mifepristone, or something very similar to that, or RU486, its brand name, uh, causes the death of the unborn child by cutting off the hormone progesterone, which is required to sustain a pregnancy. The second pill um, causes the contractions to empty the uterus. The regime is approved to be used for up to 70 days or 10 weeks into the pregnancy Well, the rate of chemical abortion has increased by 120 percent in the past decade, with roughly half of abortions today being chemical rather than surgical. The FDA imposes a safety program called a risk evaluation and mitigation strategy on 62 drugs currently on the market to ensure that the benefits of a drug outweigh the risks. One such drug is RU486, the abortion pill. Well, under the heightened safety protocols of the drug, the risk evaluation and mitigation strategy, the drug can only be dispensed by a qualified prescriber who seeks permission from the abortion pill manufacturer. Now, This means those who prescribe the abortion pill tend to be abortion providers who opt in rather than uh, your everyday primary care doctor or OBGYN, who might, under certain circumstances, opt out. We'll discuss that subject more at a future point. Well, those who advocate for renewable energy to address the increasing carbon content in our atmosphere have a few methods of energy generation at their disposal. Much of our newest generation comes from wind turbines, while cropland and open areas um, that once bore its share of uh, our food supply now lies fallow under a growing supply of solar panels, often built by China. By Uyghur slaves. But the question is whether or not nuclear power is in our future. And while I'd love to discuss it further, we're just about out of time, so I'll just leave it an open question. I'll just leave it an open question. Hey, coming up in our second hour, I'm so looking forward to uh, uh, sharing a conversation with Diana Indicott. She's an associate pastor at Northside Community Church. She's also a part-time chaplain in a, at a local hospital and the author of Under the Power Lines on the Meaning of Christmas. That well, The book isn't on the meaning of Christmas, but we'll be discussing the meaning of Christmas and why Jesus came. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. But for now, news and traffic here at the top of the hour. So stay with us.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, I have a question for you. What does Christmas mean? Well, it means many things to many people. But if Christmas means family, then what does Christmas mean to a person who has just lost a loved one or has no family at all? If Christmas means shopping malls, Christmas trees and blinking lights, then what does Christmas mean to a family who lives in a remote village in the hills of Ghana that has no electricity, let alone a shopping mall and has never seen a Christmas tree? Well, if Christmas means the giving and receiving of gifts, then what does Christmas mean to a single mother of four working two jobs, barely having enough money to pay the mortgage, the heat and buy food, let alone Christmas gifts? And if Christmas means white snow falling from the sky and covering the ground and bare tree limbs, then what does Christmas mean to a person who lives in the Arizona desert? Well, family and trees and lights, food, gifts and snow, they're all fine and good, and they can be very beneficial but they're not what Christmas really means. I'm reminded of Charlie Brown, who confesses that he has no idea what Christmas is really all about. Well, joining us to talk about the meaning of Christmas is Associate Pastor Diane Endicott from Northside Community Church. She's also a part-time chaplain, the author of Under the Power Lines, a Bible study on the power of God, on the meaning of Christmas and why Jesus came. We might take a look at a verse in Romans as well. So all of that coming up. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you, I'm so delighted to be with you today.
2: You know it seems Thank almost you. like a foolish question to ask what does Christmas mean, But I think in the twenty first century, as perhaps was the case in the first century, we need to clarify what is Christmas really all about. I think Charlie Brown was more profound and honest than most <laughs> of us are.
3: <laughs> I so agree I've had his his little voice in my head this week, yeah, <laughs> as he stood there yelling, "What is it all about?"
2: absolutely well i'm grateful he had a friend to come alongside and actually explain it he quoted scripture and so i'm coming alongside and asking you for the sake of those who enjoy all of the things that we have attached to christmas but may not have an understanding of the central meaning of christmas and what it's really all about
3: yes i i have been thinking a lot about this mainly because As uh, as someone who comes alongside people, usually in difficult times, uh, we have to have important conversations, and this time of year can be particularly hard, as everyone else seems to be focusing on happy good things, and I have this sorrow, or I have this difficulty. So, what uh, getting back to the real meaning of this holiday, I think, is a really helpful thing to talk about, and I'm just delighted we can do that uh, for this time. I've been thinking about Jesus coming and how, uh, although we like to celebrate the the, the just the um, the fun of it, right? All of the things you mentioned the the, the actually that uh, really more cultural expressions mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the holiday. The real meaning of it has nothing to do with any of that. Uh, although, like you said, they're fine and good, but they're not going to help us. They're not going to help us if we're in crisis or having some kind of strain or struggle, what helps us is understanding not even so much um, that Jesus came. We might we might acknowledge that Jesus came, he was a baby, he came into a manger, angels were singing, animals were moving, things were happening. We might acknowledge that, but really, what does that have to do with me today? Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it, I think, when we think about Christmas, it's not just, yep, a baby was born, and all kinds of things happened, something something changed for me when Jesus came and I can engage this savior. I can engage in a relationship because that's what God is after is a relationship with me.
2: You know, I've been giving a lot of thought to this. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, God in his word made many references, particularly in the Old Testament, as we were anticipating, as the nation of Israel was anticipating the coming of a savior. We have the benefit of the completed Bible and the witness yeah. of Jesus Christ. And we're looking back as well as ahead to his second coming. Um, but during a time of tremendous stress that we've all been under with this pandemic and the separation it's required and uh, the the loss and the the fact that things are just not the same. I think it would be really helpful for us to understand what God intended to change for us in sending this uh, this baby in a manger, and not keeping him there as an infant that we can all, uh, you know, acknowledge and, and fawn over, but to consider what was the message, what was the purpose of his coming?
3: Yes, I completely agree. And clearly, it can't be just about a baby, a helpless infant in a manger. It can't be about that. Now, what's beautiful about it is that it's a very humble way to come to the earth. And that's beautiful that God chose to come uh, clothed in a baby form so that, you know, we're not overwhelmed by His glory and power and Mm -hmm. running away out of fear. It's beautiful, but it cannot be just about a baby in a manger. His coming was to reestablish a way to have a relationship with God to be reconciled, to have a relationship with God. And Jesus came, of course, to fulfill that uh, by dying for us. And, And from the moment he was born, from the moment he was born, that was his mission, so that we could be reunited as family with God, always, always, always wanting a family, us in the family. So really, truly, Christmas is about God once again reminding us he'll do anything and come in any way to find his people his family and draw us to himself. And that that helps me when I'm struggling and remembering that rather than oh I you know I need my uh, hot apple cider.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you consider and that's... Oh, No, please, go ahead. And well and that is why I think
3: as as I as you could tell I'm passionate about this. That is why when I read Romans 15:13 I just think God is just trying to get the point across. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He he intends us to have such a relationship with him that the Holy Spirit within us that he gives us in relationship with him can overflow. And I, I am amazed that even in the, Even in a difficult, difficult season, we can still have hope, which, of course, isn't wishful thinking. It's uh, an expectation, an expectation, not in how things should be, but an expectation of who God is, who God is. Uh, Present, trustworthy, able, kind, good, merciful, persistent, (laughs) faithful. That's our hope. That's our expectation. God is doesn't change and my circumstances do my feelings do Uh, my Christmas tree isn't the same every year my my uh, expression of celebration maybe even might not be the same I might not have the feelings of it but what does not change is who Jesus is and what he's done and doing
2: (laughs) yes yes yeah yeah (laughs) when I consider who God is And what I am, the fact that he would initiate the kind of relationship that you've just described is awe inspiring. I think so often his character is misunderstood and uh, people generally see God as angry and looking for an opportunity to um, vent his frustration with us. And yet what you've described in this scripture, Romans 15, 13, and in the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, tells us something about God's heart that I think a lot of people might miss if we don't stop for a moment and reflect on what he says about himself and his desire for us.
3: Exactly, exactly. Because if if we, for instance, just focus on things maybe we've read in the Old Testament or or, or stories we heard and forget to allow God to reveal himself to us personally in a very deep and personal way, we'll miss, We'll miss the beauty of it um, that that his intention is to fill us to overflowing of hope of hope, and what what would happen if I, no matter what was going on in my life, I was overflowing with hope to those around me. What would happen um, boy, there's an idea
2: yes. <laughs> You know, i was thinking about this holiday season so many of us were hoping that the pandemic would subside and we would yeah. be free from some of the uh, restrictions yeah. that we have been under but the scripture that you referenced in romans fifteen thirteen, hope is tethered to god and when our hope yes. is found in him it is a hope that isn't shaken by circumstances or decrees that are handed down by those who are are over us it is a hope that is secure and unchanging and what a What a need we have today for that kind of hope in the midst of circumstances that leave us uh, uncertain, to say the least, about what tomorrow might look like.
3: Exactly, exactly. And, And if we, of all people, of all people, we who know and follow Jesus, those of us who know and follow Jesus, of all people on the planet, to be people overflowing with this hope, overflowing with it, so that we can remind people, yeah, this is... This is us and that is that and oh no, this is that. However however, there's a God who loves us and is working and he does not change and he, he still gives the Holy Spirit to fill us with joy, as it says here, with joy and peace as we trust in him. Mm. There's that relationship again. There's yes. that relationship, yeah. So as I as I choose and it is a choice, it is a choice. Where am I gonna put my feet. How, who am I going to trust? How am I going to do this? Uh, I speak with people who are um, grieving, perhaps, or having very serious, very serious circumstances. And we talk about staying in the holy now, just stay in the holy now with God in His presence. And try not to think even an hour ahead, it's too hard, but stay with His presence right now and who He is right now. We call it holy because He's there. So stay there with Him and let Him take you one step at a time. Sometimes for some of us, Christmas is just really very sweet and beautiful. And we celebrate those. We remember those. Some of them are hard, just plain hard. And we want to get through it and can't wait till December 26th. Mm. And it's those times, I think, where God says, just stick with me, hang on to me, stay in the holy now. Don't think about an hour from now. Stay right here with
2: me. What a challenge for our cultural practice of Christmas. We're going to take a quick break, but I'll continue our conversation with Diana Endicott. She's associate pastor from Northside Community Church. She's also a part-time chaplain. She's the author of Under the Power Lines, a Bible study on the power of God. We're talking about the meaning of Christmas and why Jesus came. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Associate Pastor Diana Endicott from Northside Community Church. She's also a part-time chaplain and author of Under the Power Lines on the Meaning of, uh, we're talking about the Meaning of Christmas. And um, why Jesus came just before the break, we were talking about Romans 15, 13, which is such an appropriate scripture during this time, because much of the the background music that we experience during this season speaks of joy and peace. And these are two things that we really struggle with in our culture. What is joy really all about? And can we know peace, given the chaos that so often surrounds us? And again, the pandemic is the perfect environment to rob us of the joy and the peace that this season promises. Promises, at least in Scripture and in much of the music yeah. that we hear. Can you talk a little bit about joy and peace and where we can find it? Now, in the context of this Scripture, it says that God would. Uh, we're asking that the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace. How do we arrive at the joy and peace yeah. that this uh, Scripture asks us to ask for?
3: Yes, I, I have been really thinking about this personally, and over time in certain conversations with people, because, you know, we sing joy to the world, mm-hmm. and, it's, and there's joy everywhere. The word is thrown around a lot uh, this time of year. And the, thing, the problem, perhaps, is when we think the word joy means happiness, where, whereas happiness is really more of an emotion based on circumstance. This joy, though, that this, this verse is speaking of, this biblical joy, isn't happiness based on circumstance it's an understanding it's a perspective it's a perspective and that joy does not depend on circumstance it depends on a person and again pointing to jesus what we're talking about at christmas time this joy is dependent and pointing to a person and and it's about who he is and what he's done and it's it, that doesn't change so my happiness might you know rise and fall depending on what's going on but the joy that speaking that god is speaking about here he has given us and will remind us see the holy spirit's job is to keep reminding us of who jesus is and what he says. and so god will faithfully remind us that does not change who he is and what he's doing does not change and i believe peace of course. You know, it talks about the peace that passes understanding, where how in the world can you have peace in a pandemic, for instance, or perhaps some other issue going on? And again, I I think that's why they're put together in this verse. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not circumstantial. It's not peace as in a a ceasing of trouble, not that kind of peace.
2: It's the kind of focus. It's a focus on a person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And once again, this is in the context of the God of hope filling you with all joy and peace. And the scripture also makes reference to the power of the Holy Spirit that makes it possible for you and I to look beyond our circumstances. We don't deny that they exist. We're not minimizing them. We recognize precisely what the circumstances are that are swirling around us. But because of the God of hope filling us with joy and peace, we're able to have a more mature perspective on those things in light of who Jesus is, what he has done and the promises that he's made. Exactly. And He's faithful to remind us. Yes. So bring to mind
3: either something you've been through, a verse He had given you. He's faithful to remind you, oh, you were just reading that yesterday. Here, I'll have you bump into it everywhere you go. You're going to bump into this verse. And that often is God doing this, fooling us and reminding us, I did say this, I am working, I am present, I am present. And you might not feel it. That's okay. It's not about your feelings. <laughs> they're important, but they're not, you know, they're mm-hmm. not what guides us. Our feelings don't guide us.
2: The Holy Spirit does. Yeah. What a tremendous gift he has given us. You know, reflecting on that, um, that night when Jesus burst forth on the scene, uh, he <laughs> experienced birth, which is an extraordinary thing when you think about the incarnation. We won't go into all of that. But that leaves me awestruck in and of itself. It was in an obscure uh, village. There were very few people who witnessed uh, the events that took place. God marshaled some shepherds who were in that culture. They were at the the low rung of the socioeconomic ladder. Um, They came. But then there were these dignitaries who had come from the East who also came bearing gifts and the angels which appeared in the heavens declaring, you know, what had just taken place. It's so amazing to me that this was not heralded throughout the globe, but God chose this very humble circumstance to introduce his son and to keep the promise that he had made for generations, speaking to Israel about the role they were going to play in this unfolding drama of God's grace and mercy. What a what a story it is. You couldn't have made this up. <laughs> no, exactly. No, you
3: couldn't. <laughs> we're not that clever. No. <laughs> <laughs> and God knew. God knew. Like uh, in the book of John, in the very beginning, true light has come. True light. He knew that we needed it. He knew we needed light, and he was going to He was. He had it in his mind. This is how I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. This is how I'm going to do it. And no, it's not probably how you and I would do it. <laughs> well, certainly not shepherds and mangers and such. But it's incredible. It's, in, it's incredible. And and remi- remembering this remembering this when perhaps things are not like we had hoped that are happening right now, remembering this is really helpful.
2: You know, I'm reminded that in Bethlehem on this night, most of the people were just buying and selling. They were settling in for the evening. The rest of the globe was going about its business and yet God was doing a dramatic work that would have an impact on the whole world And I think it's true today that while we may go about our mundane lives and look to the right and left, we don't see anything extraordinary happening, that God is still at work in ways that we may not notice, but we know that he is at work in ways on our behalf and on behalf of others, drawing people, men and women and children to himself. And it just it gives a sense once again of wonder and awe at who this God is and the work that he has committed himself to until his son returns again.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And again, that, that he will remind us when we forget that and get yes. caught up in our cultural stuff, or our own feelings, and it happens. We're, we're normal human beings. It happens. But, but he's faithful to us. So when it does, he'll say, no, let's have a talk about that. Or, or, or interestingly enough for me, I, for a while, I called it the radio game. I could not turn on my radio without a song or an encouraging word or a program bringing exactly what I needed mm. uh, at the moment. And, and God knows she's going to turn the radio on right now, and I'm grateful have this song <laughs> or this moment for her so she can remember. And I wonder if there's someone listening right now who that's the case. God is using this and the words we're sharing to encourage and remind that, that He's saying, I am here. I know, I see you. I love you. I'm
2: working. Amen. Amen. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was sick much of this uh, this year, and I wasn't able to do all of the things that I typically do at the Christmas season in terms of decorations and baking and all of all of the things that we enjoy during this season. But there has been a depth and richness in my walk with the Lord. Uh, first, mm. having experienced His great mercy and grace in restoring my health. And then just uh, seeing facets of his character that I had little known before. And what a joy it is when we we take the time to maybe do a little bit less. Now, in my case, I was kind of forced to do less, but to choose to do a little bit less and to think about him, to open his word, to reflect on uh, what he has done and what he is doing and give the Holy Spirit full access to our hearts during this season. And I'm telling you, this is going to be one of the best Christmases I've ever had because Aww. I didn't do a lot of the stuff that would otherwise have occupied my time. Right. And and
3: although they're they're meaningful, they probably have history. That's why mm-hmm. we do them. They can be quite distracting. And, and uh, so sometimes when they're not there, we miss them. Yet God will say, yeah, but I'm here. I'm here, I am here, I'm here, and I want to show you something deeper or further or farther you haven't seen before. Actually, in times of grief or great stress or sorrow are really the times when I am so desperate for the reality of God and He is so faithful to be there. Absolutely true absolutely true. And so perhaps this Christmas isn't anything like we expected. Hmm. Uh, we we had hoped we'd be through this pandemic by now or know, who knows what else. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking you know, it's nothing like we expected and then we look ahead and we it's easy to get a little overwhelmed. But the Lord keeps reminding me, especially using verses like Romans 15:13, I know how to do this. Stay with me. Don't run ahead. Don't fall behind. Stay in step with me. Uh, I know how to walk with you. I know how to help you. I know how to find you when you're forgetting why you do what you do and why I do what I do. Yes. Yeah?
2: I would encourage our listeners to... Open their Bibles to Romans 15, 13, maybe write the scripture out and put it someplace you can see it. And especially those whose hearts are heavy, who perhaps are experiencing grief. You know, COVID has taken many of our neighbors in this community and around the world. If it's a difficult time for you for a variety of reasons, reflect on this scripture. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives us access to all of that through his son, Jesus Christ, whose, whose birth we celebrate um, this season. And I'm so grateful uh, that God didn't just keep Jesus in the manger. He wasn't just making a point that, yeah, I can yeah. do this. There was a, a plan, a purpose, which Christ fulfilled perfectly so that you and I could come to know God and experience that joy and peace that the uh, scripture in Romans makes reference to. Yes, yes, absolutely true. Well, Diana, I have to tell you, um, my producer is a major fan. He encouraged me to call <laughs> you and uh, invite you to talk about Christmas with us today. And I, I've become a major fan myself, so you can add my oh. name to your, your fan club. Oh. Thank you so much for taking the time during this very busy season to talk with us about what Christmas really means and how we can enjoy the fullness of what God intended as we anticipate uh, Christmas Day, which is coming up this weekend. Yes, absolutely. God
3: bless you, Jojin, and your dear family, and the listeners and their family. Thank you
2: so Um, much. With the the very presence of God. Yeah. Yes. Merry Christmas to you. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Again, uh, Diana Endicott is associate pastor at Northside Community Church. She's also a part-time chaplain at a local hospital and author of Under the Power Lines. We we're talking about the meaning of Christmas and why Jesus came. Again, that scripture is Romans fifteen thirteen, And I'll just quote it one final time and would encourage you to make it available to reflect on during these next few days. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm so thrilled that Christmas is coming with all of the activities that surround the occasion. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful to have you with us today as we are anticipating that great celebration. I also want to let you know what's coming up the remainder of this week and through next week on the Georgine Rice Show. On Thursday, we're going to feature Hope College Christmas Vespers. And we're looking forward to sharing that with you. You'll also have an opportunity to hear Alistair Begg Christmas. It's a Parkside special. So if you enjoy Alistair Bag and I'm pretty sure you probably do if you're familiar with him, you can enjoy their Parkside special. It's a Christmas program that's coming up on Thursday. On Friday we'll feature The Focus on the Family a Christmas carol as has become something of a tradition here. And I should mention during Christmas week we're going to feature the best of the best of the Georgine Rice show. Now, it might be a bit presumptuous to consider anything we've done the best of the best, but it's in the context of what we do. So I guess it's not too, too boastful to suggest that uh, we've got some good interviews uh, that you might want to hear a second time. So that's what's coming up. I'm taking the week between Christmas and New Year off, and I'm so looking forward to that. Uh, spending some time with family and celebrating and just resting is going to be a big part of that as well. So that's what's coming up for the next few days. Well, I wanted to uh, talk about the incarnation and the nativity, the events of the nativity, the miracle of the eternal word entering the world as a human child. We learn lessons of faith from the people whom God chose to play a part in these events. And we celebrate the good news of great joy for all people, which is um, really something to consider. Good news of great joy for all people. There are no limitations. There's not a group of people that is excluded from um, this good news and great joy that Jesus came to bring. Well, I'm reminded of Luke, the first chapter, verses 39 through 56, in which um, we have Mary's first recorded activity during her pregnancy. She was to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Now, both women were recipients of a miraculous pregnancy and Luke links their stories so that we read them as a single narrative unit that the two of them have come together. It reminds us that the personal experiences of these two families are embedded in the same larger story of redemption. Now, um, Hannah King wrote an Advent uh, devotional, and I wanted to share some of what she had to say on that subject. She points out that some see echoes of second Samuel six in Mary's visit to Elizabeth, There we read of the Ark of the Covenant residing in the hill country of Judea for three months of David asking, how can the Ark of the Lord ever come to me in verse nine? And then David eventually leaping and dancing in its presence. You might remember his wife ridiculed him for the uh, reckless abandon that he demonstrated in seeing the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God being returned. Uh, to its rightful place, well, these similarities led many church fathers to view the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God as in some ways prefiguring Mary, who carried the Son of God within her womb. Now the presence of the Lord that uh, that once overshadowed the Ark of the Tabernacle in Exodus forty had now come to rest upon a lowly virgin which we read about in the first chapter of Luke. Now Mary is honored throughout church history because. The incarnation began with her. God selected her for that purpose. Now, Mary received this blessing by returning blessing to God, her song of praise, which is a beautiful thing to read during this season and at any time. Her her song of praise expresses gratitude for God's favor Uh, in verses 47 through 49, again, the first chapter uh, chapter of Luke, but immediately broadens in scope to describe God's mercy toward all who fear him. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that refers to you as well. That's in verse 50. She um, reviews many scriptural themes, illustrating that God's acts toward her are in continuity with the grand biblical narrative. God has not only done great things for one woman, but he has made good on his promise to rescue his people from oppression. And it began on that night. Mary's song was also prophetic in declaring God's mighty acts. She exclusively used the past tense. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has exalted the humble. The arrival of Jesus guarantees God's victory. And even though we don't yet see it in its fullness, God has already secured our salvation and the renewal of our world. It began on that night in Bethlehem. And as Mary accepts the challenge, the call that God has placed on her life, which would cost her Dearly, her reputation, as well as many other things, uh, her heart would be broken many times. Um, she willingly accepted the assignment that God had given her. this young woman um, who accepted what God had said would would come upon her and Though Mary's role is unique, she is a model for all Christians, for all of us, male and female, at any time in Christian history, we can emulate her worshipful. Hopeful response to God's promise, I should say promises, even when they seem invisible. We can also remember as an embodiment of the very promise she proclaims, the lowly will be exalted. God chose her, a poor and unimportant girl, I can relate to that, to carry the blessing and the presence of the Messiah. Now, only one was called to do that, but we carry the blessing and the presence of the Holy Spirit, which was given to us by Jesus himself, We we may be unimportant, but God has given us his spirit. We, too, are blessed. Well, this privilege begins with Mary, but belongs to all who fear God, to all who hunger, to all who thirst for righteousness. And it is an amazing thing to consider. What insights we can draw from the comparison of Mary and the Ark of the Covenant. Um, How Elizabeth and Mary's reactions to these events speak to us about what God had done. And reflecting on Mary's song, which again is found in Luke, uh, expressing um, words of praise, we might be inspired to express words of praise in our own words uh, as well. What a blessing we have to, first of all, have the completed word so that we know the details of these events, and then to walk with the Holy Spirit that gives us insight and the capacity to worship in a way that honors God. Well, there are eight planets in our solar system, and NASA estimates that there are at least 100 billion planets in our Milky Way galaxy. But God decided to make Earth habitable and to create man to live on this particular planet. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1 says, God created the heavens and the Earth. Why is Earth singled out in the first verse of the Bible? Why is this one planet so much more important to God than all the other planets in the universe? Well, the theoretical physicist Paul Davies said, and I'm quoting, scientists are slowly waking up to an inconvenient truth. The universe looks suspiciously like a fix. The issue concerns the very laws of nature themselves. Change any one of them and the consequences would be lethal. Fred Hoyle, the distinguished cosmologist, I always want to say cosmetologist, but there's a real difference between the two. The distinguished cosmologist once said, It was as if a super intellect has monkeyed with physics. End quote. Frank Tipler is an American uh, mathematical physicist and cosmologist and the author of The Physics of Christianity. And he says, and I'm quoting, When I began my career as a cosmologist, Some 20 years ago, I was a convinced atheist. I never in my wildest dreams imagined that one day I would be writing a book purporting to show that the central claims of Judeo-Christian theology are in fact true, that these claims are straightforward deductions of the laws of physics as we now understand them. I have been forced into these conclusions by the inexorable logic of my own special branch of physics." James Jolie, propounder of the first laws of thermodynamic, was a devout Christian. He says it is evident that an acquaintance with natural laws means no less than an acquaintance with the mind of God therein expressed. In addition to one planet, God used one star in his divine drama to point the way to the Messiah, one single star. Matthew 2 says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. That's found in Matthew second chapter verses 1 and 2. And chapter 9, or I should say verses 9 through 11. Well, with billions of stars in the Milky Way, God selected one of these stars or some other heavenly body or extraordinary stellar event to guide the Magi to the exact location of the Savior's birth. Dr. D. James Kennedy, the late Dr. Kennedy, said, The Star of Bethlehem was a star of hope that led the wise men to the fulfillment of their expectations, the success of their expedition. Nothing in this world is more fundamental for success in life than hope, and this star pointed to our only source of true hope Jesus the Christ. Well, the most important piece of the equation is not one planet or one star, but one Savior. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. We're going to take a break. We'll talk about this one savior when we return. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show. We'll be back in just a few moments.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. We've been talking about one planet, one star and one savior and how extraordinary all of these things coming together to provide for us. Emmanuel, God with us. Well, then the incarnation involved God taking on human nature in order to ultimately be sacrificed on the cross for sinful man. Bethlehem and Golgotha, the manger and the cross, the birth and the death must always be seen together. That's a quote from J. Sidlow Baxter. Well the apostle Peter proclaims salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved in Acts four twelve. Jesus said I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me John fourteen six, one planet, one star, one Savior. George Truitt said, Christ was born in the first century, yet he belongs to all centuries. He was born a Jew, yet he belongs to all races. He was born in Bethlehem, yet he belongs to all countries. Do you marvel at the splendor of the universe while failing to see the glory of the babe born in Bethlehem? Well, nature confirms that there is a God, but you will need to know the Savior if you desire to be reconciled to that God. John eight nineteen, chapter ten fourteen. In chapter 14, verse 7, Robert Baer said, Bethlehem was God with us, Calvary was God for us, and Pente- Pentecost is God in us. Everything is lined up for you to believe in Christ as your Savior. God arranged one planet, one star, and one Savior so that you can enjoy an eternal relationship with your Creator. Well, like the wise men, will you approach Bethlehem in humility? Will you bow down in repentance and worship the king as you receive Christ by faith? If you refuse to open God's gift to you this Christmas, you may never again be presented with an opportunity. Like a shooting star in the sky, this window of time to meet the Messiah will come and go. Life will come to an end and the opportunity will come to an end. Spiritual blindness and the curse of sin cause people to reject God's free gift of forgiveness and perfection in paradise. Why not break the spell today as you reach out to God with these words in your heart? God of heaven and earth, your majestic wonders are far above my capacity to fully appreciate them. I believe you came here, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins and then rise on the third day. Wash away my sins. I desire to follow you as my Lord and Savior. You are the only one who can save me, Jesus. Forgive me. Lead me and fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit in order to live as your disciple. Amen. Well, in the words of the marvelous Christmas hymn, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. One star, one planet, one Savior. Well, it's rather interesting to consider this astronomical marvel, uh, the star of Bethlehem, generations of Christians of helped ring in the Christmas season by singing John Henry Hopkins Jr.'s song, written in 1857, the carol, We Three Kings, with its chorus, Star of Wonder, Star of Night, Star with Royal Beauty Bright, Westward Leading, Still Proceeding, Guide Us to Thy Perfect Light. We know from the Gospel of Matthew that these kings, or magi as Matthew calls them, saw something brilliant in the night sky, a celestial body that beckoned them to Jesus' birthplace in Bethlehem. What exactly was this mysterious star of wonder? Well, um, Greg Kutsana interviewed a, a biblical scholar, Colin Nickel, on that very subject, who happens to be an um, an astronomer uh, as well as a biblical scholar. The two are certainly consistent. Uh, Colin R. Nickel is the latest to venture an explanation for this astronomical marvel. He blended uh, Bible research with findings from expert astronomers. He makes the case that the Star of Bethlehem was actually an extraordinary comet. He is a writer, a teacher, leader with the Scientists uh, in Congregations program funded by the Templeton Foundation to integrate science and theology in churches. Um, and he is the uh, uh, author of a book uh, and where he makes these claims that uh, is titled The Great Christ Comet Revealing the True Star of Bethlehem. And he says that if uh, figuring out the biblical text requires me to understand history, geography, religion, sociology, and something else, then it's my responsibility to do the necessary study. It's obvious from Matthew 2 that the star of Bethlehem is a real astronomical entity that was faithfully observed by astronomers in the ancient Near East. The biblical scholar then is challenged to search for astronomical information, and that's what he's done. Well, why have biblical scholars shied away from studying the science? And I'm not sure that's altogether true. Um, But he suggests that because it requires knowledge outside their specialized areas, in his experience among scholars, few things draw out more cynicism than the Star of Bethlehem. But we need to remember that nowadays Matthew's gospel is widely acknowledged to be an ancient biography. When an ancient biography is written in the same century as its subject, it is generally characterized by a concern with historical accuracy Uh, and looking for the astronomical evidence or explanation will help. Well, who were the Magi? He says we often call them wise men, but that's not a helpful designation, nor is it helpful to think of them as philosophers. The Magi, straightforwardly, were scholars engaged in astronomy and astrology. They made regular observations of the stars, the planets, comets, and other phenomenon. They were probably from Babylon, and we know that was the main center of astronomy in the ancient Near East, and that Babylonian astronomers had studied the stars dating back at least to the 8th century BC. They kept an eye on celestial development and they kept detailed records. Um, What evidence is there that the star was a comet? Uh, The star appeared suddenly and it was visible for over a year. Something that makes sense only if you're a supernova, a supernova or a great comet. Uh, He points out that the star surprised the Magi with its impressive rising points strongly uh, to its being a comet of all the celestial bodies. Only comets behave in this manner. Uh, Rising refers to the period when celestial bodies reemerge on the horizon after being hidden by the sun. Well, then you take into account the star's movement in the space of a couple of months from the eastern morning sky to the southern evening sky, where they see it when they are traveling from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. That kind of movement is only possible for an object in the inner solar system, meaning that the star had to be a comet. At the end of the Magi's journey, the star stands over um, the the place of Jesus' birth, pinpointing a particular location. And as New Testament scholar Craig Keener says, uh, had pointed out, that something only a comet can do. Josephus mentioned a comet that stood over Jerusalem in the run-up to the Judean War. Another Roman historian uh, mentions that another comet did something similar over Rome in 12 BC. That's all very powerful evidence, and there's much more uh, to be had. Well if the star of Bethlehem is actually a comet should we start calling it the comet of Bethlehem? Well in the ancient world many astronomical entities meteors for instance could be regarded as stars. In fact we still describe meteors as shooting stars. Comets were commonly called stars. This was true in the Greco-Roman world in the writings of philosophers like Pliny and Seneca It was also true in Babylon. So how did the uh, Magi determine that the one whose birth was announced in the heavens was the Messiah? Well, there were various indications in Matthew that these wise men, these astronomers, the Magi, were impacted most by what they saw in the stars rising. Whatever it did at that time revealed that the Messiah had been born, motivating them to make their journey to find and to worship him. It is a very interesting A series of events, and if you're interested in more details, a book published by Crossway, The Great Christ Comet, revealing the true star of Bethlehem, you can find more information on all of that. Well, this is my last live program of 2021. As I mentioned, tomorrow we'll have Hope College, their Christmas Vespers, and uh, we'll hear Alistair Begg's Christmas Parkside special on Friday, a focus on the family's Christmas carol, and during the uh, Christmas week, the week between Christmas and New Year, the best of the best of the Georgine Rice Show. So I wish you a very Merry Christmas, the best in the uh, the coming New Year. I pray and hope that you will draw near to Christ, that it won't just be an occasion where you're exhausted at the end, but that you are refreshed. Because Emmanuel God is with us. I want to thank James Blind for producing, Sam Maupin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night.
1: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook.